that's how we all grow. Iron sharpens iron, mm-hmm. and the only way that iron sharpens iron if someone's somebody's ready to get hot. Mm-hmm. And that's the burning, that's the growing that takes place when you're with true community. Because we can play community. We can have the word family and all these acronyms that sounds good in the book or it sounds great on a podcast, but if to live it out, there's always going to be that burning. Um, I always talk about it. it's the tension moments, the tension-filled moments. Um, a part of the 12-step leadership thing that I, I teach on my class, one of them is don't be afraid of tension-filled moments because I believe that's where we grow. That's where we're sharpened um, as a leader. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. I am a speaker and trainer who works with teams and organizations looking to create powerful, positive, peak performance team cultures. This podcast is a show that was inspired by my 2016 TEDx talk called the 50 Cups of Coffee Challenge. Go check that out on YouTube if you haven't already. In the talk, I challenge you to sit down for a conversation with 50 people in a year. That number might sound big until you fully appreciate this is not all about networking. It is about connection. Connect with your kids, your spouse, your friends, your family. Connect, connect, connect. This is a message I believe we need now more than ever. I know that can sound cliche to say, and I truly believe it. And that is why I am doing this show. The number one question I get is what do you talk about when you connect with people for your 50 cups of coffee challenge? So instead of explaining it, I set up mics. On this show, I sit down and talk with leaders in sports and business about connection and culture. These are individuals who I would be doing this with anyways and having these conversations anyways about connection and culture. And I've set up mics to create a podcast so you can listen in. Before we get to today's guest, I only have one very important announcement for you. On episode one of this podcast, Harry Swain, our first guest, shared with us the inspiring story of O.J. Brigance. Two episodes ago, I shared what I called the story of O.J. Brigance, Super Bowl champion battling ALS. It's a quick 18-minute episode where I pull the story that Harry shared in the first episode and just shared that story of why Harry came back to Baltimore to serve as the player development director for the Baltimore Ravens, what it's like for to watch his friend and teammate O.J. Brigance live with ALS, and why O.J. set up the Brigance Brigade and why they need our help. The Brigance Brigade is the foundation that O.J. and his wife set up to provide funds for families that are challenged by the ALS disease, especially now during this COVID-19 and and the challenges that that presents to folks who are immunocompromised and also the economic challenge that's presenting. The Brigance Brigade really needs donations and help and, and just folks that are giving money so that they can give the money to families that maybe can't work or maybe are, are furloughed or laid off or maybe can work but don't want to go to work because by going to work, they're putting their, their families or 
or, or their loved one who is challenged by ALS at risk. And so they're choosing to stay home. And, and I can't tell you how many stories I've heard where when folks are choosing to stay home for their own health, not every employer is honoring that. Not every employer is, is saying, great, we'll keep paying your, your, your bills. And, uh, and, 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 and that doesn't always allow you to hop on unemployment and unemployment's its own beast of a challenge. And so the Brigance Brigade is taking on this huge challenge for their families that are, that are dealing with and struggling with ALS and saying, we are going to help provide some much needed funds so you can live your life during this time. I am personally challenging the 50 Cups of Coffee community to raise $1,057 by September 24th. Again, OJ was number 57. That's the significance there. And when communities or teams come together to raise money, that is what they're challenging folks to do. $1,057 by September 24th. Right now, as of this recording, we are almost halfway there. I first launched this challenge last week on my social media. I dropped the episode about the O.J. Brigand story, and we have raised, on behalf of the 50 Cups of Coffee community, $505 already. I was humbled and, and am grateful how quickly we were able to raise $500, and I'd love to see if we can do the same thing this week to hit our mark of $1,057. This small podcast that I launched back in January has averaged about 100 listeners in the first week of an episode dropping. So we're not yet at the sponsorship level of 1,000 listeners a week. We're not at the, the Joe Rogan level of podcasting. And I think it's pretty awesome that we have about 100 listeners for each episode the first week it drops. Those episodes will continue to get more listeners as time goes on. The first episode we dropped, Harry's, I think at this point has 650 listens and, and and in the first week, we're averaging about 100. So I say that because if you are listening to this right now, if you were to donate just $5, the numbers say that we would crush our, our goal within this first week. We've got till Thursday to do it. If you are listening and you can donate just $5, you'll help us hit our mark and we'll hit that $1,057 mark to help families who are impacted by ALS during this COVID time when maybe they're not able to work, maybe their hours have been cut, maybe their medical expenses are higher, they are, they are immunocompromised, they do not want to go out into the world, they do not have the ability to do that like many of us. Many of us might be in a place of saying, hey, if I wear my mask, and I keep my distance, I can start living a little bit of a more what I would consider a normal life. Folks that are challenged by a disease such as ALS or have family members who are challenged by it do not have that ability or that luxury. And so if we could just offer them $5 to support them, it would mean the world to me, it would mean the world to Harry, and it would mean the world to OJ and his family and the Bergance Brigade. To donate on behalf of the 50 Cups of Coffee community, head on over to runsignup.com, R-U-N signup.com forward slash 50 Cups of Coffee, and that's five zero cups of coffee. Again, that's runsignup.com forward slash 50 Cups of Coffee, and this link will also be in the details of the show, uh, the, the whatever, wherever the description is of the show where you're listening. If you head on over to my social media on Instagram, my bio link is runsignup.com forward slash 50 cups of coffee. And I'll be posting it on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter as well throughout the week as we seek to hit this goal.
When you donate, I get a notification. If you choose to be anonymous, shoot me a text, an email, a message on social media. I want to thank personally each individual that decides to donate. And at the end of this season, I'm going to be sending out thank you notes and gifts to the guests and supporters of the podcast for the first season. And if you donate on behalf of the 50 Cups of Coffee community for the Brigance Brigade, you will be included on that list for the thank you gift for supporting this first season of the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. Podcast. So donate today, $5, head on over to runsignup.com forward slash 50 cups of coffee, five zero cups of coffee. Now let's get into my guest for today. My guest for today is the Associate Vice President and Director of Athletics at New Jersey City University. If you're a regular listener of this show, you have heard him before as I chatted with him in the wake of the murder of George Floyd to talk about race in this country. My guest today is Sean Tucker. This interview you're about to hear was one of the first interviews I recorded for this podcast. I believe it was back in January. I drove up to Jersey City from Maryland, and Sean and I sat in his office at New Jersey City University to have this conversation in person before COVID times. When hired for his current role at NGCU, Sean Tucker joined an elite club as one of the youngest athletic directors in NCAA Division III at 33 years old. He became an athletic director. Sean also is the first African-American athletic director in NJCU history, the seventh ever in New Jersey athletic conference history and the only current minority in the league to hold the position. Sean and I met before he got to NJCU when he was the Associate Athletic Director for Student Athlete Development at Rutgers University. In this role, Sean led the Rutgers Leadership Academy, which is the group of students he brought me in to speak to and work with on multiple occasions, as well as the Student Athletic Advisory Committee, the Rutgers Athletics Internship Program, and our care. If you are involved in sports in any capacity, I promise you this is going to be a great interview. And if you are a leader in any capacity, I know I say this a lot, but this is the folks I bring onto the podcast. If you are a leader or a manager in any capacity, Sean is a wonderful example of how to lead and manage people and fill their buckets and ensure you are getting the most out of them by connecting with them. Outside of work, Sean is the executive director of A-Life Ministry, a young adult and college campus ministry at Rutgers University and Abundant Life Family Worship Church in New Brunswick, New Jersey. This is another tremendous group of students who Sean has invited me to serve on a number of occasions. And I say it to him, I'll say it to you, I say it to everybody. It is genuinely uh, every single year when that, that, that event is on my calendar, it is what I look forward to. It is one of the, the most favorite things that I do just because of the caliber of individuals and the events that they put on. And I'm honored every year I get a chance to serve with this group. And so Sean will talk a little bit about this in this interview as well. This is a fantastic interview. We cover all things from Sean's professional journey to how he serves student athletes to how he serves his coaches and staff members to his personal passion of a life ministry. I have loved working with Sean for the past number of years. This interview was a favorite of mine. He has become a friend and a mentor. Please enjoy my cup of coffee with Sean Tucker. Uh, Cause you, so you played at Rutgers yep. and you were drafted. 
right? No, I didn't get drafted. Well, you, what yeah. happened? Tell, so tell me the story because yeah. you told me about it once. And it was, yeah, it was interesting great. story. Yeah. So um, originally from Florida, yep. uh, Greg Schiano, who is now the head coach again at Rutgers, uh, recruited me a part of his second recruiting class. Um, so he was, yeah, I saw your post recently. So he yeah. was the head coach when he was there. Yeah, he, he went, left, left, went to Tampa Bay, did the NFL thing, did the Ohio State Buckeye um, thing and New England Patriots for a hot coffee break. Yeah. And then um, was a free agent. And he wow. came back uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. And so excited to see him back here in the state. Um, but I was recruited part of his second class coming out of Florida. And at the time, had multiple offers, Ohio State, Auburn, NC State, and chose Rutgers because of the personal connection that I established on my recruiting visit. Um, at the time, this is when this was all legal, NCAA, where you could fly private jets and all this for yeah. your for your prospect uh, students. And so I was on the plane with six other guys from Florida. So they did they send a private jet yeah, just for you guys? They picked you guys up in Florida. Us. Yeah, I, I remember it was like yesterday. Wow. It was a a Friday morning, flying out of West Palm Beach, get to uh, EWR in Newark. But as you're flying in, you seeing where is I, city. I, the only so I've been to FAU. I've worked at FAU quite a bit. Yeah. There's a private airport right there. Yeah, West so Palm I don't know Beach. if that's the exact yeah. one, but it's close. But even to just it. seeing. In an area like that, all these private jets. Yeah, all these private jets. It was just especially unique. In your mind, you're thinking, oh, this is this is high-level college football. Yeah. I can't wait for this experience because it was the first major recruiting uh, trip that I, I what, took. How old are you at this point? I was 17. Yeah. Ju- junior or sophomore uh, college? I was a, I was a senior, So actually. you were a senior. Yeah, okay. I was a senior at that time. Okay. Yeah. And so 17. Actually, 16, turning 17. So I was 16 years old. Um, And we landed in New York. And looking at the buildings, you're just starstruck. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. I'm in New York City. And when we get there, we went to the ESPN zone. At the time, it was in Times Square. That was the best place to be, especially for a 16, 17-year-old. Sure. And Shiano was uh, doing Shiano recruiting. And we were having fun playing games in ESPN zone. Then all of a sudden, he says, hey, Tuck, come here. So I'm walking with him uh, out of the building, and I'm, all, my, I'm already alert, like, what, what are we doing? Because it's just me. rest of the recruits stayed in ESPN zone. They're playing basketball, air hockey. And it's just Coach Gianna, myself, and a couple other people that were with him. And we're walking down this alley. All of a sudden, we hit a, a sharp left. And then the alley gets smaller. And I'm like, all right, what's, what's going on? We go through this door that goes down the stairs. And all of a sudden, when I'm downstairs, we go through the door. I see these these stars on the on the on these doors, and I was like, "Wait a second, this looks familiar." Lo and behold, we were backstage of Saturday Night Live. Yes, and oh it was gosh. Saturday at the time, and I just remember, I, I this is the place I want to be. This is New York Did City. Did you go to the show, or he was just able no, to get just, yeah, he was able to get me backstage to get around. to see everything, yeah. and he did his homework because at the time I was the TV producer in my high school. WMSD News. Get out. And so I, I was producing the the, the weekly uh, TV show for, for school in high school. And he did his homework. He knew about that. And he grabbed my attention from there. And lo and behold, I ended up uh, signing to, to, to come to Rutgers. Played there up until 2007. Um, had a phenomenal experience there. While I was matriculating through school, um, I started all four years 
after my second year, had an opportunity definitely um, in my mind to play in the NFL. Talent. You knew that after yeah, your second I, year? Yeah, I just knew it. Yeah. Yeah, after my second year, led the team in receiving. Um, you, people at that level, you, you get a sense of your competition. Mm-hmm. And I knew what my competition was. And we were going against some really uh, successful programs like Tennessee, Notre Dame, University of Miami at the time, very successful Yeah, Rutgers program. plays – yeah, incredible competition. Absolutely. For the so eight, ten days. you get yeah. a good sense of who you're going to uh, going up against and who's going who's get, who's getting getting drafted at the time too. And you say, wait a second, I, I, I did phenomenal against him. I can definitely do great in the NFL. I ended up getting a groin surgery as a sophomore year, and at that moment, it was the first time in my life I remember, like it was yesterday. I was laying in the hospital bed uh, down in Philadelphia, um, and I looked up to the ceiling. I was like, you know what? I don't feel like I'm invincible. Because throughout my entire uh, youth age, high school, I, have, I was always that guy. Mm-hmm. I was that per- person, athletic, um, very motivated, determined. Um, I always say I never drank and never smoked. I didn't do any of those stuff because I felt like that was going to stop me from getting drafted. Like, mm-hmm. that's my mindset at the time. It wasn't about anything else. Like, I, I want to get drafted. I'm playing in the NFL. So if I smoke, I won't be able to, be, I won't be able to breathe. Mm-hmm. If I drink, I, don't, I, I won't be sober. I just want to be focused on yeah. it. Nothing spiritual at the time. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just, just about playing in the NFL. Yeah. And I remember laying in that hospital bed, and it was the first time I felt like I'm, I'm hitting adversity. And it changed my life for the better because it had me really think about if this football thing doesn't work out, if my body fails me, what are you going to do? And I did some soul searching. I absolutely did some soul searching in that hospital in Philadelphia. And I told myself at that time, you know what, I'm going to really dedicate myself to to my academics. Because at the time, I was just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. I can be a B minus C plus average student, still pass, not really really um, assert myself in, into the classroom, not sitting in the front row. It wasn't important in the, to you. Wasn't it wasn't important. And when I learned um, in that process, as I'm looking now, you know, 15 years later, is what I was developing was a sense of not just leadership, but a sense of just awareness of, of a bigger purpose connected to my destiny. Mm-hmm. And while the, all the adversity that I went through, eventually I ended up having two more groin surgeries after that, breaking my ankle my senior year, losing my entire senior year except four games, um, really being in a very low, depressive state of mind my senior year while our team is winning games and yeah. going undefeated and all of this. I'm not able to really support. Were you undefeated that season? Yeah, we went 1-0, 5-0, 6-0, 7-0, wow. 9-0, the big Louisville game, and everyone got to play in it. I'm sitting on the sideline. You didn't play. Didn't yeah. get to play. And we won that game. And while I'm just cheering and I'm excited for everyone, a part of me felt like, wow, I came to Rutgers to be a part of moments like that. And the best I can do is cheer. Mm-hmm. And I just truly believe like God was setting me up for something bigger than I even anticipated. Did you know that at the time? Did you believe that at the time? N- no. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, there was yeah. a lot of angry moments um, yeah. at the time because you're just frustrated because you really want to produce. You want to play the sport that you love. But something deep inside of me was just, hey, there has to be a purpose. There has to be a, um, a reason why all of this took place because mm-hmm. you had the, you had the gift, but that gift got eroded because of the body breaks down and despite that body breaking down my mind 
did not break down. So it was about reshifting my focus and really believing that God had a bigger plan for my life and had a great mentor, uh, John Maurer. He actually married my wife and I um, down in Florida when we ended up getting married. But uh, he was a person that helped introduce a deeper relationship um, to God. Is he a coach? Uh, No. So he was actually the the team's chaplain at the time. For Rutgers. For Rutgers. He worked with Athletes in Action, um, which is a— Did you take a— liking to him or what he was doing or did yeah you, was I, it was it in one ear and out the other when you were in college no it's, it's it's funny i grew up in the church but i wasn't a devoted um i don't know the right word to say a devoted um christian in the standpoint where i'm really focusing and believing like god has a great plan for my life or i'm, I'm study, reading the bible constantly i was just going to church kind mm-hmm. of going through the motions but when I got to, to Rutgers, I got connected with this small Bible study, and I was just kind of going in 10, wasn't engaging all the way, but I just knew information based off of growing up. Well, John Howard comes to campus my sophomore year, and that sophomore year, he was looking for some leaders, just looking for people that may be interested. And I raised my hand. I said, yeah, you know, I, I grew up in church. Um, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Um, and that was pretty much it. Over the course of the time, whether I didn't realize it at the night, he just began to mentor me and really um, instill some godly principles into me and really start to show who I was always underneath this surface of just being an introvert. I believe it or not, I was an introvert back then at the time, very quiet, shy, reserved, um, all those um, traits but it just began to break if, if off. You're, if that, that younger self could see your Instagram oh stories of right, right. dancing, <laughs> dancing. <laughs> oh my singing. goodness. <laughs> like, who are you? What, what is this person? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's just amazing that on that journey, he was a major catalyst uh, person in my life to, to, to push me in that way. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you still keep yeah. in touch with him? Yeah, he's down at Baylor University now. Okay. Um, he's the he's running uh, their spiritual. Um, they have an actual term to it, but essentially, they're, he's a chaplain over all sports there, mm-hmm. and he's done. He's not affiliated with Athletes in Action anymore. They have their own. Um, you started talking program. about Athletes in Action. And I yeah. cut you off. To go, to share with yeah. That so for Athletes those who in Action know. is a uh, non-denominational um, nonprofit campus ministry that's uh, geared and targeted to uh, student athletes and helping them on their journey to um, identify who they are and um, build a stronger foundation in their faith in Christianity and Jesus Christ and um, utilizing the principles of sport in your everyday life. And it was great for me because it was a good foundational starter for me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't... um, deep and heavy in terms of doctrine and studying and this it was literally you love your sport but let me tell you that there's something even greater than your sport Mm -hmm. Um, you love to engage in activities utilizing your sports but what if i were to tell you that the very platform that you love to compete in is the very platform that could be used to grow the kingdom of god so it was really tying in the element of our 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 sport Mm -hmm. and how sometimes our sport can be an idol and um, how that idol could um, be greater than how we view who God's called us to be and how we, view, how we view God. And he was challenging me, you know, as I was growing through the college ranks. And um, I had this encounter. Wow, man. It was in uh, Texas where I went to this conference. It was a Fellowship of Christian Athletes mm-hmm. conference. 
and someone was praying over me and it was the first time where where I was introduced to the prophetic and part of that prayer was I, I and that means they were literally like, like I said, people can say, can I pray? Yeah. Can I pray you? for you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and he just right began with minister. Yeah. And yeah. it says, um, I see just for you. I just tell this is exact words. I, I just see what the Lord is telling me that you're going to get drafted. And for me, when I hear those words, I just remember, I was like, yes, <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> Lord, I hear you. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> and then he continues to go on. He says, you may think, I'm talking about getting drafted into a sport or NFL or NBA, but no, I, I see you being drafted onto God's team. And I remember just, just sitting there and just listening to him and praying. I was like, all right, amen, that's good. Yeah. I went back to the room, and I was like, that's nice, but am I am I really gonna, am I gonna get drafted to the to the, to to the league? league? Like, yeah, like I'm I'm with that I'm with that guy. Like yeah. I'm all for can that. I get drafted, drafted to both? To yeah. yeah, can we do both? Like, is that part of the contract? Yeah. Um and. And I never thought anything of it. But yeah. as I went through my college career, it was like year after year, he kept on bringing that up, that there was a greater purpose, a greater plan for your life. And I really am drafting you for, for part of my kingdom. And ever since then, I got connected into campus ministry. Mm-hmm. And I had never, I've never looked back. Yeah. Uh, since 2004, I've been affiliated with some type of campus ministry, whether it's me serving, whether it's me leading, um, whether it's me um, help with alongside my wife uh, doing retreats and allowing people to be in an atmosphere where they encounter the love of God, the presence of God. It's just been a driving force to to really connect the dots to my why and why God has me here. Yeah, yeah. So, ta- so you you graduate. Did you, four years, right? Graduate from yeah, Rutgers. five years because I had a redshirt year. Okay, so, so two thousand seven, I graduated. Played redshirt year, yep. and then um, I want to get to a life. Yeah, but I also want to connect that to just your your whole career in general and how you got. So, how do you is Rutgers your first job? Yeah, after and, you and this is a funny story. Yeah. Talk about just connections, and you never know who you'll meet. Um, at the time when I was playing football, every Sunday after practice, a bunch of guys on the football team would get together and go to the local bowling alley and just bowl, have fun. It's our downtime Sunday. We didn't have practice on Monday, so we could just chill out and have fun. And so I got connected with bowling. And then there was one, um, one Sunday that I went to. This is after I graduated. I was done. My bags were literally packed. My car was packed to drive back home to Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, my lease was up. Wasn't playing in the NFL. We realized that was all done. I gave up. My, my career was done. So I got to figure out what I'm going to do. So the plan was to go drive back home and, and figure it out. As I'm that week, I'm going to go drive home. I go to the bowling alley with a good friend of mine, Willie Foster, who was a wide receiver at the time. And I'm bowling, having fun. And a gentleman comes up to me. He says, hey, are you Sean Tucker? And I played for Rutgers. I said, yeah, I played play for Rutgers. He said, man, yeah, I love watching you play. You had, I feel so bad for you. I'm so sorry how the career ended. I definitely thought you were going to the NFL. Like, you had so much great promise. All the things that you really don't want to yeah, hear at that yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 I got, I got you. Thanks. <laughs> the wound is still fresh. This. Right. Okay. <laughs> and so, but long story short, he begins to ask me, he said, what's, what's next for you? I said, to be honest with you, I'm actually heading home to Florida in five days. Uh, everything's packed. I'm just enjoying the last few days here on Rutgers with my friends, my former teammates, and then just kind of figure things out from there. I, he asked me, hey, where'd you get your major in? I said, I did a double major in, in labor studies and geography. He said, geography? What, what's all that about? Um, 
I said, you know what? I actually love studying the weather, the climate, um, maybe thinking about doing the meteorology. You know, I don't know. Maybe something down there in Florida because I just enjoyed it. Um, but also did some GIS mapping. Um, and as soon as I said GIS mapping, he perked up. He said, well, wait a second. You know how to do GIS? Uh, I said, yeah, I actually learned how to, to do that trade while I was in um, the, the geography program. He says, I work in the city of Newark, and it's connected with Rutgers University. And the mayor, Cory Booker, who's now our Senator Booker, um, is actually looking for some GIS specialists to map crime data in the city of Newark, <laughs> specifically probation. Yeah. Let me give you my card. Um, shoot me an email, and I'll get back to you, and we'll figure out a date for you to come up just to check it out to see if you'd be interested. I say, you know what? What's the shot? Let's do it. So I, after I left the bowling alley, I go home, send over my resume, email uh, the individual at the time, and I just wait, wait to hear a response. Day one goes by, nothing. Day two, nothing. Day three, mind you, I only got two more days left. I got to yeah. get out of the, yeah. the apartment. that's what I was going to ask. Day, <laughs> day four arrives, and I finally get an email back from the individual. He says, come into the office tomorrow. So I'm like, okay, I need to call a friend, a teammate, because I need a place to crash because my lease is up tomorrow. I have to get everything out of there. So I end up going, visit, uh, visiting uh, the gentleman and meeting him in their office in New Brunswick and driving up the turnpike to go to Newark. Little did I know that he was bringing me to a meeting um, on a juvenile prevention meeting that involved all these local officials in Newark and Mayor Cory Booker. Was Cory Booker, because even when he was mayor, he was a big deal. He yeah. Was, he was, so was he a big deal at the time? Was that exciting was, to you? To, yeah, it, yeah. You know what? I wouldn't say as exciting now because he's a b big deal now. Sure, but he was but, definitely someone that was changing the culture in the city of Newark. So he had. To, I knew about And I mean, I follow mm -hmm. politics. I follow the news. But I, I knew about him when he was mayor of Newark. Yeah. You know? So he was. He so was he was doing some, some was tremendous doing some work. work. Yeah. yeah. And so to be sitting in there, I knew of the person. I didn't know all the great work he was already doing yeah. There. So I'm just sitting there as a guest, and they're just starting to talk. And eventually they come across uh, the whole focus on probation and probationers and reoffenders, and say, we got to get a handle on this. I would just wish we just knew where to find all these uh, reoffenders. And so then Ken mentions, yeah, we actually just uh, brought on a, uh, a specialist that can be able to map data. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. I'm like, <laughs> okay. It's like, yeah, I can work on this. Let me let me grab my laptop. And uh, long story short, I end up interning for the entire summer there. Um, did a bunch of mapping, um, data uh, plotting of all addresses of people that were reoffending and they were utilizing this um, in their meetings so it felt special to do that and eventually it turned into a full-time program coordinator position uh, working with Yes Center that was focusing on at-risk at youth population transitioning from the juvenile detention center back into the public school system so mm -hmm. I did that for two and a half years loved it saw a tremendous impact um, these reoffenders or these these offenders who were coming out of the Detention center will come to our establishment for 30 days for transitional to get acclimated back into the public school system, just back into society. And so we'll have um, classroom settings, workshops, uh, life skills, quote unquote, building that took place there. So we were able to implement that um, with these uh, at risk youth. And then I got that phone call from Rutgers Athletics, and that was the, the ticket that led me to 
take a full-time position back in the athletic department to be the associate athletic director and um, director of our student athlete department. And they, they called you? You weren't even seeking that? Or? I wasn't seeking it yeah. because a good friend of mine, um, Anthony Cowley, who was a former teammate of mine, gave me a call. He says, hey, Tuck, man, we're about to launch a new program called the Rutgers Leadership Academy. And this academy is all about life skills. I know the work that you're doing in Newark. You're a former athlete. You're a former football player. This is this is the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. And as the more as they began to kind of frame, put the framework of what the program would be, um, I started getting excited about it. I just felt like, wow, I think this would be the next step for me for sure. It's I love this audience um, working with these uh, transition from the juvenile detention center. But there's nothing like home. There's nothing like being a former athlete, knowing the demands on the athlete's schedule, the issues that the athletes have uh, managing, and the lack of development from a career and professional and personal standpoint that many of us struggled with transitioning. I just remember sometimes I didn't even know what to put on a resume, and I was a senior graduating. And I ended up coming down for a quote-unquote conversation, I thought, Uh, open up the door, Eight to ten donors just sitting around the table, ready for me to to uh, interview. Oh, this is, in my mind, I'm like, this is an interview. This is a real deal. This is a real deal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but thankfully, um, I'm cut from the Coach Shiano tree, and preparation is so vital. And I was ready. I was ready for that conversation. I had a bunch of uh, materials in my hand just to kind of talk about you know, like whoever you hire. They need to think about this and. I wowed them as a 24-year-old at the mm-hmm. time to then take on a director role. And to this day, they always said that you know, the reason why you got this job is because of your preparation for it. Because when we realized you were 24, even on your resume, we were very skeptical about a 24 taking on a huge task of overseeing an entire department, 600-plus athletes, focusing on their career demands, their personal enrichment, community engagement, and you're just 24. Mm-hmm. You know, what could you really instill into them? And what I did was I just really believe that God positioned me there for a reason, that there was a purpose in, into it. And a lot of my past failures athletically um, was tied into that. And so I talked about my experiences. I talked about I didn't think I'll be sitting around this table in front of you donors to talk about why I'm the right person for this position because I truly believe I was going to go to the NFL. There's no person um, on this earth that could – tell me or sway me otherwise it wasn't until I was sitting in that hospital bed um, laying up looking in the ceiling and realizing that I'm no longer invincible that at any moment this could end what I think is powerful about when you speak that there's there's a lot of athletes that have that goal of being a professional athlete myself I can if I try to put myself in in that position it might sound ridiculous to compare the mentality but as a lacrosse player mm-hmm. i had that mentality Absolutely. i went and played division three lacrosse and i still had the mentality right. of i'll peak when i'm a senior right. i'll play pro and pro for lacrosse at the time was a sem- they had one semi-pro league mm-hmm. now they have a, a, a an actual professional league but it's still not the nfl right so it wasn't even it wasn't even about the, the dollars it was just that's what i wanted to do and and so it's one thing for, for anybody to say, oh, I get it, that's your dream. But for you, it wasn't a pipe dream. It was it was very real. This yeah. is what you could do. And you became a statistic, um, mm-hmm. whether it's injury or luck or happenstance yeah. or whatever. It didn't work out. It didn't happen. What I love about 
just kind of the whole story you've just shared is the the question I had in terms of Rutgers Leadership Academy that I what I was impressed by because I've worked with a lot of different athletic leadership academies in the country and one thing you guys did really really good at Rutgers and I'm sure they still do is a holistic approach mm-hmm. to what you want to call leadership development. I think leadership development has become a great catch-all phrase yeah, for personal development, for life skills, for for preparing an individual to be successful no matter what happens next, whether it's professional sports or not. And so obviously your experience in that hospital bed played into that. Obviously, yes. I think your experience with that at-risk youth in the city of Newark played into that. Agreed. So talk about when you built the Rutgers Leadership Academy is a 24, 25, 26, 27 year old. Yeah. And, and what was your approach? What was your focus? What were your, what are you looking to accomplish when you, when you get these student athletes, what do you really want them to take away from yeah. these sessions? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I, I looked first in the mirror and I asked myself, you know, if I was a freshman again here on campus, what was I missing? Why was I so focused on the NFL? And driven on that, but was missing the other great avenues of just uh, personal development that happens on a college campus. I know there's a big wave with online education that's taking place everywhere, but there's such great value when you're actually invested into a institution and you're there and you're interacting with various backgrounds and you're going through some adversity um, that you start to grow and develop as a person, as a human being. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to instill those principles early and not have another student athlete wait until their senior year of their redshirt year to try to have the light bulb flicker, you know. Let the flickering take place to freshman year, sophomore year. Let the light bulb go on their sophomore, junior, senior year because if we're able to eliminate two to three years of just haziness, um, I think we can impact a generation. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that. And so I, I went from that standpoint of that's going to be my drive and push. Now, how do we execute that? Well, from a practical standpoint, I knew the high times and low times of every student athlete because of being a student athlete on campus. I know the football team, this is the window where we can hit them with programming. And this is the window that if I even went to the coach's office, they will scream and shut the door. Get out. <laughs> so you just use wisdom in that practical sense. And then um, I, I use this analogy back when I was at Rutgers. I grabbed a bunch, it's as if I grabbed a bunch of darts and I threw all these darts at the dartboard. And 10 out of the 20 darts landed and they st- and they stuck on the on the dartboard those are the programs that we did year over year um, initially there were some things that just didn't work out and you know mm-hmm. just let it go but what people quickly realize is that when you provide a menu of options um, the two or three events that make sense for me are going to be so impactful and it'll be the two or three events that are, i'll remember for the rest of my life mm-hmm. all it takes is one shot all it takes is one opportunity all it takes is one conversation um in the bowling alley where your life and trajectory will shift and change and i wanted to create as many one-shot opportunities for our student athletes and in preparation for that they had to refine their skills they had to polish their skills so mock interviewing they would do resume building um, going out into community to learn how to serve when you're a Division One athlete and you're always um, catered to, and you're, you're provided this avenue to go through life and school and academics, um, when you leave that quote-unquote bubble, 
you may have a hard time adjusting to it. So we really wanted to be in, in, intentional and in allowing them to grow uh, while they're in college outside of the traditional student athlete bubble. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, one of the things that struck me when I met your students over a few years, so different students too, is how well they know you and how well you know them. Yeah. That's a lot of students. And I think that is, you make a great point. Um, I think what I've noticed, even being outside now as a director of athletics and no longer on the day-to-day student athlete development, the practitioners across this country, and I know a lot of them, they're, they're phenomenal. The ones that are excellent are the ones that are able to not just be great programmers, not just be great um, curriculum builders, but the ones that are able to in, uh, nestle themselves in the lives of those that they're serving. Mm-hmm. Because you can do that, you really are speaking to a, an individual that they know that you really care about them. You know, people don't know how much you know until how much you know, how much you care. Mm-hmm. You know, John Maxwell, yep. quote. And I just, I believe in that mantra. And I believe that people, um, especially our student athletes who I'm friends with today, uh, one, one of my student athletes became uh, the godfather for our first son. Uh, and so that's how. From Rutgers? From, from Rutgers, yeah. yeah. And we're still close wow. to this day. I've uh, been to, I can't tell you, over 20 weddings of former student athletes. And, and so for how me. How do you, so the question, cause yeah. I, and maybe it's natural to you, the question I get all the time is, okay, great, how? People yeah. want to know how. And, and you don't have to have an easy, slick answer because I do think it is that John Maxwell quote, mm-hmm. quote genuinely care. Mm-hmm. And if, there's, if there are practitioners out there who are leading teams and people and, 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 and looking to say, great, is it just walking the floor? Is it just going to their events? Like what is, what is genuinely taking an interest in these folks' lives look like? Yeah, I think you have to be very strategic in it. Um, because you can think that you're really impacting a lot of people by just, I'm going to grab 15 minutes here, I'm going to listen mm-hmm. to your story, I just check the box on it. You have to be strategic in, in terms of who are you called to impact in this season of your life. And for me, when I first got at Rutgers, it was all about the sack. If I can highlight it's the and Student Athletic student Advisory, athlete advisory committee. committee. Yeah. yeah. If I can get really personal with them, um, get vulnerable with them, um, show them and share with them stories of me growing up, and then they can see a connection and dynamic. And now let me actually go to one of their sporting events. Let me um, support them in an avenue where I'm not expecting them to come to my event, but I'm going to go to your event. Let me send them a text randomly throughout the day letting them know that, oh, I remember our conversation on this, or I thought about you there. It's these little nuggets throughout the entire course of the relationship where then they walk away their junior year or their senior year, and they really felt like, Sean cared about me. Like mm-hmm. He really genuinely cared about me. And it wasn't just a one-off. It's, it's multiplied in other relationships because I saw how he treated my teammate. Um, it's how we even did our networking events. We, we had annual networking events in, in the month of December. Which that's such a great, happy holiday time for many people. So even the music choice, we would have Christmas music and holiday music playing in the background of a speed networking format. And we'll close the session with a picture of my family on there to, to, to demonstrate to them my love and appreciation for family and how they are my family here on campus. I think those are the things that many practitioners miss um, by not engaging that vulnerable element mm-hmm. of exposing 
your why, but also exposing um, some of the areas that you maybe have struggled with that can be an imp- impactful testimony for others. Yeah, you're, you're, that's another good point you, you make is you are a very real individual. Mm-hmm. Your, your family is present. Your kids are your kids are there in right. the morning when you're dropping off breakfast yep. for the SAC event. <laughs> you're dropping them off at school. You're coming yeah. back, uh, and not just their presence, but they're they're a part of your your stories, your examples. That that's that vulnerability of of letting people in, and especially students, all people, but especially students, can tell if you care or don't yeah. care. They yeah. can feel it, especially at that age. Yeah, and I think, and maybe student athletes are unique. I don't know, but that's who we work with in the sense of of being so on guard for someone who's not real, mm-hmm. someone who's just kind of doing this because that's what they're supposed to do. Or yeah. they read a book that said, you know, you should text everyone you know at two o'clock and say, I appreciate you, right, you know? Right. And, and, and so they just start doing that, but it's not real for them. Exactly. And so making it real for you, making it genuine, making it just, this is how you want to live your life, how you want to connect. For you, this profession grew out of, of being that athlete, seeing yourself probably in a lot of these students mm-hmm. who, who see nothing beyond professional or, or if their sport doesn't have professional nothing beyond just right now, right now college right. sports is, is number one for me and there's nothing beyond that yeah. so i think uh uh that that to me even when you talked about throwing the 20 darts against the wall mm-hmm. and see which 10 stick first thing i thought of is how many athletic directors i talked to that are afraid to do a new program because well if it doesn't go well and these students will never show up to anything right again kind yeah. of idea and it's like I don't say this, but that's indicative of your relationship with it them. Is. When you have a relationship with them, they will give you grace. When when that program's over, if you brought in someone for it or you didn't, they'll look at you and say, hey, Sean, that stunk. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that again. Yeah. And, and you get that honest feedback, and they'll still show up for the next one because they have that relationship with you. It becomes a te- – they understand why you're doing what you're doing. You're not yeah. just making them go through – mock interviews for the yeah. heck of it. And you made a great point just in terms of one of the th- leadership principles that I share, I also teach on um, on Rutgers campus now to this day in a global sports business program, mm. leadership and ethics. And the last- When do you co- sleep? Sunday night? <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to vacation yeah. for sure. Um, but one of the things that I share with them is as a leader, it's instrumental that you develop this, this mantra sorry that's on me and sorry that's on me is validating that you you misstepped but also reassuring that i'm going to do what i need to take to reassure you that i'm going to get this done i'm Mm -hmm. going to clean it up um you break down walls when you say sorry yeah when you take ownership you break down the wall of ego and pride and it says that i'm not perfect and I value what you say. And so the student athletes, when they see that, because a lot of times as practitioners in this space, we could take on the stance of either we know it all or when we don't know it all, we'll try to maneuver our way to say, yeah, well, this is what I really meant. Or no, I, yeah, but this, no, just say that I missed here. You know, and I apologize for that. I'm going to get it right the next time. What are your thoughts on it? When you are able to engage the students from that level, because now you're treating them as an adult, mm-hmm. um, they appreciate that. And I think that's the way that we've gone about it. Um, and even here at NJCU, uh, my new uh, position, uh, we've developed that same culture and that same mantra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was listening to Steve Kerr interviewed on the Way of Champions podcast. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that one? Yeah, John I have. Sullivan. Yeah. And he talked about when he met up with, Pete Carroll and um, Pete Carroll, the advice he gave to Steve Kerr is if you have a bad game, be willing to admit it. 
go to your players, go to the pre- – he just seen Pete Carroll on TV at the press conference say, what happened? He goes, I, I didn't coach well today. Yeah. And that's a vulnerability that a lot of coaches don't often have. And Steve Kerr added the extra element of saying, and you have to earn that. If, you, if, if it's your first year coaching and you haven't won a game yeah. and you're towards the end of the season, <laughs> you can't keep coming into your players and being like, like, sorry, yeah, guys, yeah, I didn't yeah. coach well. That's not going to work you, well. you, you got to earn it. If yeah. you consistently show up, you consistently provide value, consistently invest in people. Yeah, that's good. When you then look at your athletes and say, sorry, that's on me, there's a, a weight lifted off their shoulders that, mm-hmm. hey, Sean's not perfect. Sean's right. human. Sean can screw up sometimes. And they'll jump to your aid and say, you know what? You know, let's either yeah, it is on you. Let's work through it. Yeah. Or or um, it's not all on you. Let's let's share the burden. Yeah, because it's just eight to nine times out of ten you're going to get it right, um, especially if you're in the field that you've been called to be in. And when you develop that um, that level of respect and that level of comfortability with those that you are leading, when you have to make tough decisions, and now that you are correct and it's critical constructive criticism that you're going to provide with them they're more ready to receive it mm-hmm. and that's how we all grow iron sharpens iron mm-hmm. and the only way the iron sharpens iron if someone's somebody's ready to get hot mm-hmm. and that's the burning that's the growing that takes place when you're with true community because we can play community we can have the word family and all these acronyms that sounds good in the book or it sounds great on a podcast but it, to live it out there's always going to be that burning um, I always talk about it. it's the tension moments, the tension-filled moments. Um, a part of the 12-step leadership thing that I, I teach in my class, one of them is don't be afraid of tension-filled moments because I believe that's where we grow. That's where we're sharpened um, as a leader. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I love when iron sharpens iron. Yeah. I've never heard the some, something's got to be burning. Yeah. Iron absolutely. Iron. Yeah. What are, what are your, do you have your 12 steps off the top of your head? Um, I don't want to put I was, you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple more in my mind. Yeah. Uh, one, yeah. of, one of my favorite one is be ready for the 3 a.m. And what that means is as a leader, um, at any moment, you may get a text. You may get a call where someone needs you. A lot of times 3 a.m. is our time of rest, our time of sleeping. It's our own private time. But I, I believe that when you're placed in a position of leadership, at any moment, you're going to need to be called upon. And are you ready? Is your well filled enough, um, filled up enough to be able to pour out something of substance? And I'm always challenging that when I get a text message from a friend or someone that's going through a difficult situation, what's my initial response? If my initial response is like, I know my well is empty or my well is dirty. But if my initial response is, all right, Lord, what's the strategy for this? What could I be doing here? What, how do I approach this? Then I know that there's something in my well, there's something in my tank that I'm able to pour from or pull from to help impact that situation. So if you want to be a leader, if you want to be that person that um, you believe that you are called for the, the marketplace or any uh, sphere that you're in, you have to be ready for the 3 a.m. Well, let me ask you this. So... You're a great example of, you know, so now in your current role, you're uh, head athletic director at New Jersey City University, Mm -hmm. associate vice president. Um, You're still running a life ministry, which we'll get to and Mm -hmm. talk about. Uh, You're teaching a class at Rutgers. Mm -hmm. You've got two kids. Yeah, two kids and a wife. uh, And a life outside of all this. How do you make sure your well is full? Yeah, that's a great, great um, question. And it's important that any leader has a response to that because I I do. And 
Uh, a part of me being able to pour from this place is I, I do have a strong foundation and relationship uh, with Christ. I believe um, in my faith, Christianity. And a part of that is whether it's weekly Sunday services. I go to a church here in New Brunswick, New Jersey, um, where I, I'm constantly being fed. I don't have to be in a position of leadership where I'm pouring constantly. And I'm serving in, in the capacity, but I, I always approach it from a standpoint of trying to receive as much information, um, whether it's even with my staff sometimes. Sometimes I'll have a staff meeting, and I'm not talking in the staff meeting for the standpoint of whatever the individual is saying in the, in the staff room, I trust their leadership because I place them in that position of leadership, but they may have something for me to gain and grow from. Um, I'm big on podcasts, so I love this uh, interaction because I believe in the podcast, there's so much great information being shared that you cannot help but grow. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm looking forward to even listen to this playback because I'm sure there's certain things that you were saying that I'm like, oh, wow, Bobby, that's good. I'm mm-hmm. going to take um, and utilize as well. Um, I'm big also into uh, kind of fasting and consecrating myself, uh, getting the muck out of me, the day-to-day grind, the information. We can get information overload on social media channel, uh, channels and TV that I will literally block out all that stuff and I'll just spend dedicated time um, in my faith and with Christ and, and reading the Bible or I'll, I'll listen to some video sermons where I'm getting targeted information inside of my well so that I know I have that information needed in a time that I, I needed to, to pour out. Mm-hmm. Is that part of a daily routine for you? Do you have a, a yeah. morning routine? Uh, I do. It's not, time? I wouldn't say it's a routine, but it's a conscientious decision that I do make when I wake in the morning. I do spend some time um, with the Lord in prayer. Um, and that, in the days I don't, <laughs> it's interesting. I go through some some chaotic moments, yeah. um, and I'm like, "Oh, I did not spend time. Yeah, this was just kind of a mad dash day." Yeah. Um, so I, I do try to take some intentional time doing that, um, but I don't also look at it from a day to day standpoint. I look at it as as seasons, as well. We're wrapping up campus ministry this December, and everyone goes on break. Um, I work in higher education, so the academic cycle, typically the month of December, January, it's a little bit more of a downtime. I utilize that as a, as a downtime for me, too, as well. So I'm not constantly pouring in the months of December and January. I, 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 I lay down. I lay low and just begin to fill myself up. I'll read a book. I um, just finished reading a book called the cry for spiritual mothers and fathers, why this next generation needs spiritual mentors. Because I just feel like I'm in the season where many people are calling upon me to be a mentor, to be a leader. Um, and I want to not just uh, give them information, but I want to give them um, steward, steward information from a place where I know I have language that can help impact the very situation that they're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Um uh, who, do you know who wrote that book? The Cry um, for Larry Critic. Critic. Okay, yeah. I'll look it up. Make sure yeah. I get it right and, yeah. and post it. We're gonna have show notes somewhere once yeah. we get this thing launched <laughs> and ready to go. Awesome. Um, you said something last time I spoke to a life. Mm-hmm. Um, you wrapped it up by saying uh, some folks are called to the pulpit, some folks yeah. are called to uh, the, the home, and yeah. some folks are called to the marketplace. Yeah, and. Because the group kept asking me if I was a yeah. minister or a pastor <laughs> oh, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And um, and that that really moved me. You mm-hmm. said it recently here on this yeah. podcast too. And what I love about it is, you know, you look at 
what you're doing, you're an athletic director. Mm -hmm. And, and, and a lot of people can look at that and say, okay, you, well, you go to a lot of meetings, right. you, you set schedules, you deal with, uh, uh, disciplinary things. Right. Uh, you, you do start, you start a wrestling program mm -hmm. you, you guide these students, you set up all that kind of stuff. And for you, and it's not about, for you, it is about Christianity, but it's not, that doesn't, that's not what you're pouring necessarily into people right. because you have students of all sorts of different faiths and beliefs yeah. and non-belief. You are a, what I look at is you kind of see the spirituality mm -hmm. in what you do on a daily basis. Right. You know, when I first saw you at A-Life, that was the same person that I saw at Rutgers, our lead. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of people might see a difference in the two. One is spiritual church related. One is, you know, state school campus related. Yeah. And, and, and now you're here and you're the same person in this role that you have here as head athletic director, you're mm -hmm. the same person yeah. you are at, at Rutgers uh, leadership Academy. And, uh, this isn't just a podcast to inflate your ego, but this <laughs> is, I want to interview you for yeah. a reason. And that's why mm -hmm. it's, it's because, you, you find this way to ensure and be intentional that you are spiritually serving everyone you interact with, yeah. everyone you get to touch, um, that at some level is your why. Yeah. And it's so natural. It doesn't seem like you're pushing it. Mm -hmm. It's just naturally how you show up and how you lead. And, and I don't even have a question with that because yeah. I don't know how you unpack that other than it is genuinely who you are. Yeah. And so, so that's going to come with who, how you show up. Yeah. So many people ask me, um, who influenced you the most um, in my life? And many people, when you ask that question, they'll say, my mom, dad, parent, guardian, uh, my, my, my coach growing up. Uh, for me, there's so many people that have had a positive influence on my life. You can say the John Maxwells of the world, um, John Bevere, um, T.D. Jakes, uh, Bishop C. Wright, my, my, my pastor at, at home church, my mom or dad. But for me, at the core of me, it really is um, the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I really study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so four simple gospels. You see a man, whether you believe him or not, whether you even read it as just a story. Like you can literally say, I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm reading it just as a story, that this individual depicted and walked a walk of just servanthood mm -hmm. and really came from a place from a genuine place of he had compassion for people and wanted to see people uh, be better do better and he was relentless in that and so for me um, that that is where my fuel comes from um, I just believe that that's what we've been called to do to impact people's lives and we just do it in various ways and forms and lanes that once you identify your lane, it doesn't feel like work. And, and, and I appreciate those words because I just believe that God has positioned me here where I don't it feel like I, I know I got a ton of responsibility oversee a department of 75 individuals, um, campus ministry. We have 50 leaders. So you, that's 120 people that I have to have on my mind and mm -hmm. heart constantly. But when you're graced to do what you've been called to do, it doesn't feel like work. When you are not, then that's when it feels, yeah. that's when you're like, I'm just burnt out or I don't love what I do and I need to go find something else. And when you have those feelings, good, because you are in the wrong spot. And seasons and could shift and positions and, and callings could shift too as well. But our destiny is our destiny, you know, and that destiny is never going away. Yeah. How do you do all that? And what you did at Rutgers, mm -hmm. how do you do that here in your position as a athletic director yeah. overseeing, would you say, 75 departments? Yeah. Um, 
how do you how have you, how is maybe it different for you? And I don't want you to get too technical. Yeah, I don't know. There's there I, are athletic directors that'll listen to this, but for the most part, it's mm-hmm. it's it's for anybody, right? I, how I, do you do that in the role that you're in? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say I I've grown over the years of understanding the difference between a leader and a and a manager. I, b- I believe leadership is all about influence, influencing and inspiring others to a shared common goal. The managerial aspect of it is the hands and feet of leadership. In order for that to take place from a practical standpoint, I had to elevate my managerial skills because of the volume of people and volume of responsibilities from an associate vice president role and a director of recreation and athletics. So the difference between Rutgers, where there was very programmatic base and I'm focused on a smaller group of individuals, now that it's been magnified. Well, little did I know a life ministry would have helped and fine-tune and refine those skills that now I walk into this next chapter in this next season of my life as the director here at NJCU that I've learned to hire people that are the right fit for the role so that I'm not doing their day-to-day as, as I may have done in the past. And then secondarily, I've learned how to empower people. A part of our vision and mission statement of even NJCU is about empowering not just our student-athletes, but our staff. Because if you can empower your staff, those that you are, are responsible to lead and to guide, then they're able to identify their core purpose. As soon as they're able to identify their core purpose, oh, they're gonna be fueling it. Mm-hmm. And if it's connected to the institution and the vision and mission, whatever they're doing is going to help benefit what you're looking to get done. And we've been able to establish that. I can go down my entire staff right now. I know their strengths. I know their weaknesses. I know their core purpose. I know what drives them. I know what frustrates the nonsense out of them. And when we're able to have that intimate dialogue and conversation in that way, um, I'm able to put them in the right position. I even just move one person from responsibilities that another person may have said oh man you are you changing that person how they're going to react they loved it because they say you know what this thing was taking too much of my energy that i don't want to do it i don't love it and another person i I pass it on to they were so appreciative because it's like i love this stuff i want to do it and so i've been learning how to manage people at a greater level in this next in this season we call it um when we talk about connection Mm-hmm. getting to know people we say know your people's fillers and drains know your that's kids good. fillers and yeah, drains know good. your yeah. employees your players and for that exact reason when you know someone with relationships mm-hmm. it's important to know each other's fillers and drains i'll tell a story in my keynote mm-hmm. of of uh of my some of my so I, I'll just tell it. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> got to now. <laughs> um, the last uh, was it last July? Uh, you've probably heard me tell this, mm-hmm. but I'll tell it again because it's relevant. Last July, my in-laws decided to go to the Poconos. You know the story. Yeah, you've probably heard yeah. it two or three times now. <laughs> in-laws decided to go to the Poconos, and uh, the entire family's in one house for the entire week. Great family vacation and. There's some fillers and drains yep, happening there. Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> it decides to rain for the entire week. Third day in, I got to go outside. I got to go for a run. I got to do something. I go outside, and my wife says, what are you doing? 
you're, mm. you, you can't stand my family so much. You're going to go for a run in the pouring rain. And and I said, I got to fill my bucket, right? Yeah. And there's a sense of like, oh, come on, let's not yeah, use this, this trainer you? talk crap. <laughs> and it's like, no, like I, I, not that that train doesn't mean bad. It's just if I sitting inside again for another full day, sitting at a table and eating a meal mm-hmm. is going to drain from my bucket. If I go run for 15 minutes, it's going to fill it. So, okay, yeah. fine, go fill your bucket. And it did. I go yeah. for a run in the rain, come back, shower. And I, I shared this with, with your, your group of coaches when I did it of, of how many of you have ever done this before and 15 minutes just sets your day up for success yeah. and all of a sudden you can take on some of those meetings you want you don't want to go to you can take on some of those responsibilities you don't love but your bucket is filled because of it and so as a boss as a manager as a coach to be able to know that of your players of your employees of your teammates of your kids of your family now you know what to pull from them, what to give to them yep. in a way that serves them really, really effectively. And and as I said earlier, it goes back to them people when you know the people know you care about yeah. them, they give you more grace. When you are aware of those fillers and those drains, people give you more grace too, yep. because they see you taking care of them in other areas. They'll they'll be a little more patient when you've got to give them something that maybe they don't want to do. Yeah. And that is going to be a drain for them. Absolutely. And you, and you see it in the family dynamic the most where the, the bucket either is being um, filled or drained at a very higher rate and clip. And what I've learned over the past probably four to five years is that um, the, the people that you're around the most typically are the, is the work environment. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in the office, maybe seven, eight, nine in the morning and you may not leave until seven, eight, nine at night. And so you're engaging with dynamics and personalities and behaviorals and your stressors on the job. Let's simplify this. Let's go to the core of the issue at hand. It's a person. It's a person that is going through whatever situation of identifying their why of why am I doing this assignment? Then why am I doing this assignment here? Can you make the connection here? The great leaders, the great managers of this world are able to see an individual, whether they're thriving or just barely surviving, I'm, I'm going to help you reach where you need to go because I can see that you're, you're drained right now. Let me help fill your bucket or go fill your bucket. I literally tell my staff that if you get to a point where you're just like, you need a time away, hey, I know this is going to be recorded, take a day off. Yeah. Just take a day off. Well, don't worry about marking the day, you know, because you need to fill your bucket up. I highly encourage our team to go on conferences, retreats, um, and it doesn't have to be in, in your profession. Like, if you love poetry, take a couple of days off. Go poetry, you know, go go learn more about that And because now you're filling up a personal bucket that my institution, my job, I can't fill that for you. All I can do is encourage you to go fill that. Mm-hmm. We just ran a, um, a speaker training uh, in Michigan where Ryan lives, my business partner, mm-hmm. and um, we had people, it's how to present better. And we had people come to that, that um, like they present, but it's definitely not a core of their job. Mm-hmm. And we said to them, like, how did you get work to pay for this? <laughs> and they said, they have, they, have, they have managers and bosses like yourself, they said, I, this is something that I really want to get good yeah. at. I don't need to get good at it. I can give dry. One person's an engineer. Mm-hmm. They said, I can give dry presentations the rest of my life, and that'll be okay. 
but I want to be great at this, and my boss supports that. Literally spending professional development dollars That's for great. an engineer yeah. to be better to at be public speaking. speaking, and it's purely because it's a, it's a filler for them. Yeah. It's a passion. That's so good. I think it's a it's, it's an awesome it's, it's an awesome way to lead your culture. Mm-hmm. Um, how does this? So you're a you're a, a family man as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, your wife is involved with with your campus ministry that you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I've I've met your kids uh, <laughs> almost as many times yeah. as, as I've been up here. Um, how do you manage that? How do you manage? being present in your kids' lives yeah. as they continue to grow, being present with your wife outside of co-parenting mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and being a professional at the same time. Yeah, this year I've made some tremendous um, um, changes in terms of just my level of engagement with my family because I was starting to feel the weight of all the responsibilities, everyone pulling on me, what I have to do here in the job ministry and so forth, that there's, all, there's only so much you can do until someone will start to feel the effect of abandonment or rejection. And so um, I made an emphasis that starting in the month of September, that every other Friday, I'm going to put on my calendar a very important meeting, as if it's a meeting with the president, a meeting with um, the CFO, the advisory board, I'm going to meet with my wife. Mm-hmm. And we, it's been a tremendous, we'll go to the coffee shop and we'll just talk about life. And it's every other week. And for her, just to know that I was that important enough um, to be put on the calendar that has 100 meetings on, that did something just even for our marriage. As we're in year 10 of our marriage, just celebrating our, our anniversary. Now Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And, and so from that standpoint, that's something I really wanted to shift and change. Now, for my boys, they're growing up. And I... My father, at the time, as I was growing up, he did such a great job of just being there at my sporting events. And I've taken that same mantra where I'm an assistant coach uh, for baseball and soccer and soon-to-be basketball. And just being there, being present um, in their lives as well is important. They were just actually up here last night. We had a home doubleheader. And it was a school night. And initially, I wasn't going to do it. But I'm saying goodbye to them when going to school, and I can see on their face they're going to miss Dad. I said, you know what? Why don't you guys come up for the doubleheader? You can do your homework in my office, and we'll go in and watch the game. Little moments like that are reminders for me that try to find ways to, to make it happen, mm-hmm. to, for things to coexist, because they're going to have to coexist. Time doesn't duplicate itself. But I think in situations, you can duplicate opportunities to impact multiple cohorts. And that's what I've really been trying to emphasize in these past two years. Well, and it's amazing when you put yourself in the mind of a kid, mm-hmm. how valuable those moments are. Just the other day, I was talking, my dad's a teacher, and I mentioned something about, oh, well, when I was in your classroom, I remember this. And he goes, when were you in my classroom? <laughs> and I, I came to work with you one day. And he, yeah. he doesn't and you remember, remember it, it yeah. at all. <laughs> and I remember it like it was yesterday, yeah. because for me, it was awesome. For me, it was a cool moment. And for him, I don't know, maybe I didn't have a babysitter for the day. Like, <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't remember the reasoning <laughs> for why I was yeah. there. Um, so you're right, it's finding ways for this to coexist. It's making it a priority. Uh, last question. I, I want to honor your time. You got a lot tonight, yeah. too. So I appreciate you even sitting down and doing this. But um, And it's not even really a question. I just want you to share a little bit about it. Uh, A-Life Ministry is something that um, I've been grateful to be a part of a few times over the past uh, few years. And it consistently, for me, I've said this to you, I mean it. It is, it is a highlight of my year oh, because awesome. it is such a, a wonderful group of students and people and, and yeah, cause they're not also, it's just a wonderful group of people. Yeah. Um, and, and 
you and your wife leading it is is awesome mm-hmm. to see. Uh, I and what so talk about what it is and yeah. how you all came together and and what you're what you're doing because yeah. it's it's an incredible community. So as I mentioned earlier, um, I've been on campus ministry since 2004, and in 2007, my home church, Abundant Life Family Worship Church, um, the the lead pastor, his son. Um, caught um, a vision just of, you know what, it would be great to have Bible study on Rutgers campus. It's right next to the church. Let's do this. So in 2007, the official A-Life um, was launched. What does A-Life stand for? Uh, abundant Life. It's okay. just an acronym. Yeah, that's so great. our home church is yeah. Abundant Life. Um, and so we just shortened it because, you know, that's what cool college people do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's become a, a, a thing now where people just really um, – identify the younger generation um oh that's a life and and we've been on campus at rutgers university for oof now we're looking at 12 going on 13 years and our our vision is to create an environment where those far or near to god can experience the love of god um, and we do that through uh, an intimate worship experience uh, teaching the authentic gospel and creating community amongst believers so those are three main um, drivers for a life and we've been on campus since 2007 and a part of that is making sure that we're developing we're discipling um, we're leading them and we're serving these college students because they come to college and with a bunch of um, baggage. Some come from very uh, difficult backgrounds. Some in, in colleges is an escape. I'm free. I can do whatever I want to do. Some of them come from maybe a more established and strong foundation, but don't really have an understanding of all the Christianity or religion and all of that. So we, we get all these diverse backgrounds together. And the main focus, the main emphasis is always on God. And it's about uh, your personal relationship with God, because I can have your personal relationship with God. Only you can have it. And a part of your journey here is for us to create this environment in this safe place where you're going to grow and you're going to develop and you're going to encounter Holy Spirit. You're going to really begin to identify who you are as a person because who you are as a person is directly correlated to the creator that created you. And it's been a great ride, Bobby, just for these past 13 years, seeing lives truly transform um, folks that have come from very tough, tough situations and fall in love with God and realize that God really loves them even when they felt abandoned by family members or the situation was so um, treacherous that they didn't think there's any way out of it. And we, this past year, um, we felt a call in our lives to expand A-Life Ministry um, from just Rutgers campus to Kane University. So we launched it earlier this year, uh, fully um, A-Life Kane. And we got a couple more schools down the pipe in the next couple of years that we're going to be going to because we just see the fruit of it. It's really being spirit-led, trusting the Lord that there's no egos involved. Um, we're doing training and development of students to become leaders throughout the process. So we've, we've grown from 5 to 10, 20 to now 50 leaders um, which is just incredible. Uh, and you think about how does that even happen? Like, why does someone want to do this? There's no financial gain in this. Um, it's literally people have been impacted so much by the ministry that the last thing, the, the, the only thing they think to do is I, I want to serve in that capacity because mm-hmm. I want to see it. And for me, I always tell people this is, like, A-Life has changed my life. And, and even though I'm the quote-unquote figurehead leader that got placed in the position, He's been working on me throughout this entire journey because I've had ups and I've had downs too as well. But 
one thing has always been consistent is his love for us and his love for me. Yeah, well, you lead by example with that group. Anytime I've spoken to him, and this is true of, of any any group I've been with you, you're you're front row taking notes, mm-hmm. and and you're hearing the same stuff absolutely <laughs> over yeah, and over again. To. But they see that and yeah. they they engage in that. And the last time. Uh, maybe it was this past fall we did that um, uh, feedback process. Yeah, you stand good. in a circle and yeah. you go up to folks and say the strength I see in you is and a way yeah, I want to see more from you, what you're holding back kind of thing. And um, that's the first time I've ever done that with a group right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You know, Typically we build rapport. Yeah. It's a fourth session. It's an end of our day when I've been with them since 8 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I said that to you. I said, I, this is what I want to do. Yeah. What are you doing? You're like, do it. Yeah, do it. Do do it. it. Yeah. And they and are just such awesome. an open-minded, open heart growth mindset group mm-hmm. that is there to grow and learn and, and you and your wife embody that so that that's why it's a highlight for me yeah. are folks that are just hungry hungry for more and hungry to serve yeah. so it's just a thank you yeah, for thank continuing you. to invite me to that I, yeah I absolutely every year. We'll keep, keep doing it, it going cause, yeah cause it's a it's just it's a highlight it's yeah. a highlight um last question mm-hmm. that you've kind of already answered so you, we can just pass if, mm. if you don't have another story off the top of your head. But uh, as I said, this is 50 cups of coffee. The whole point is connection. And so the question I always like to ask is, is there a, a cool 50 cups of coffee story that you have? It doesn't have to be cool, but just a story that stands out to you of, of the power of just putting yourself out there. The idea of 50 cups is being intentional about interacting, having a conversation with, whether it's a meal, a workout, on the phone with 50 people in a given year because it's just the power of, of, like you said earlier, who knows you. So I know you, you talked about the bowling alley. You yeah. talked about uh, uh, even getting to Rutgers. People mm-hmm. are always watching you. Um, now in life, do you have just moments of connection? that? Have- yeah, I, honestly, it's to me, it's, it's a, a monthly thing. Mm-hmm. I, I see the connection dynamic with individuals that I walk with, that I talk with, that I'll I interact with, and most recently, even how I'm even sitting in this chair here at NJCU, I was uh, at home, and I get a text message from uh, Jason Crow, who's the associate vice, pre- the vice president here, and he texts me a job description for a director of athletics position, and I looked at it, but his response was, "Do you know anybody?" And at that moment, um, I looked at it and I read it, and, I was, and at that moment, it was the first time where I felt like. I'm ready. Mm. And the only way I would have been ready, Bobby, is all the other 50, 100 interactions and connections that took place from the last time I said yes in 2009 to take the, the Rutgers Athletics job to 10 years later, 2018, taking the NJCU job. There are so many moments on our journey where we interact with people, where we are there to either pour in or be poured into that if we're cognizant of it, it's a 50 cup of coffee opportunity mm-hmm. every single time. Yeah. And if we can start to view our interactions with people and not be so quick to rush out of the conversation or rush to the next assignment or rush to the next event, that the very thing that you wanted for, the very thing that you were praying for and hoping for is actually right there in that conversation. And I've learned to slow down in that aspect as I've turned 35 this year and just really begin to see myself more as an adult like I really feel like an adult now yeah <laughs> even though I had kids have been married um, because a part of being an adult is not caring about you it's caring about others 
and I know the impact, the influence that I have on so many younger people in my life, and even my peers. I believe that I, he, God has placed me where I can be an in, influence to those that may be uh, my same age or maybe even older. And a part of that is slowing down, hearing people, listening to people, and then being vulnerable enough to share, but also vulnerable enough to say that I don't have all the answers, and you may have an answer for mm -hmm. me. Yeah, well, you're the. This was in the press release. Are you the youngest athletic director. Yeah, I was one at the time. Yeah. Um, I was one of the youngest athletic directors. Just turned 34 at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, I think you know when I when I think when I, I remember reading that and and being proud of you. Number one yeah, for the position, you. and number two, I think you know we talk a lot about the combination of attitude and skill. You got to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. The skill needs to be there. Yeah. You've got to have that. You got to have the experience that you've talked about. But then the attitude side of things is the energy, is how you show up, how you make people feel, how mm -hmm. you care. And even in that answer there of connection, it's about that. It's about being present. It's about caring. It's about investing in people, pouring into them. Mm -hmm. It's not about what can I get from you Absolutely. or what can I get out of this. That is from from non-selfish people. I'm not saying I interact with selfish people, mm -hmm. but the people that ask me, you know, about this challenge of 50 cups they'll they're they'll kind of say why or what what do you get out of it yeah. what's the value what's of the it value, yeah. and i didn't have a good answer for a long time which is part of why i didn't do the podcast mm -hmm. i didn't have a good answer i was just <laughs> like i it's i love it yeah. it's awesome it's it fills me mm -hmm. and and you get people who say well maybe interaction with people doesn't fill them inherently and it's like well yeah. it's not about extrovert introvert it's not about being in a crowd it's about connection with people one-on-one -on -one and and things come your way that you're not always searching for you mm -hmm. didn't put on a vision board 10 years ago that you wanted to be a head athletic director right i'm assuming no, i did not yeah you didn't put a vision board 20 years ago no. that you wanted to do anything other than play in the nfl yeah. and and life life has happened in a really awesome way mm -hmm. because you're clear on how you serve and you're clear on serving so yeah I love it. Yeah. I, I appreciate you. No, I appreciate you. You influenced the heck out of me. So go ahead. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> just this platform. You know, sometimes it's good to hit the pause button and talk your testimony because you refine your testimony uh, the more that you engage in it. And I've been able to even learn a little bit more about the journey that I've been on, but also to hear even more tip points that you, you shared, too, throughout this entire um, and the whole concept of this 50 cup. Um, cups of coffee um, it's it's a really strong concept because I think we all know in those coffee moments those coffee settings as I share with you me and my wife every other week we, we're doing that um, why was it over a cup of coffee why was it in a coffee shop why was it face to face like we are right now is because there's no other distractions it's literally locking in on this moment and saying that um, I'm here present like you mm -hmm. said so I appreciate you just creating a platform that reminds us of what it means to be present yeah and you affirmed me driving up here you did I don't mean that <laughs> but like I have committed to face-to-face -face conversations yeah, awesome. because it is a different conversation than you have yep. over the phone or over FaceTime. Agreed. And, and, and we'll see where that goes. Uh, you know, if, if I don't want to do a Zoom call and everybody listening is like, ah, he's a fraud. Yeah, but, right, right. but, but personally, um, this I wanted this podcast to be a filler for me, and it mm -hmm. would not have been if it wasn't face-to-face. -face. Yeah. It gave me an excuse to come up here and talk to you for an hour. Awesome. So, I love it. Thank yeah. you. All right. Thank you for the time. Yeah. It was awesome. Good, Bobby. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. 
This is a journey that began with a TEDx talk in 2016. Head on over to YouTube, type in 50 Cups of Coffee Challenge or just my name, Bobby Audley, right now to take a look at that. If you'd like to support the show, please head on over to run sign up forward slash 50 cups of coffee to donate to the Brigance Brigade. Again, if you've listened to this entire episode and you're still listening to me right now, $5 is all that I ask to support the Brigance Brigade as we seek to support individuals dealing with ALS and families struggling to make ends meet right now with an ALS diagnosis. $5. If each person listening to this donates $5, we will hit our mark of $1,057 by the end of the week. Head on over to runsignup.com forward slash 50 cups of coffee. You can find more information about the show on my social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Bobby Audley. And our theme music is by Matisse Soy.